Tribe Talk. Tribe Talk is a podcast created to elevate your life through real talk, true stories, and great debates, with some fun sprinkled in. We dive into all things lifestyle, health, and wellness to expand your knowledge and guide you towards living your happiest, healthiest life. I am Sam. And I am Emily. And we are your hosts. You got a hedgehog? Oh my gosh, I see my Uh, it's technically it's my girlfriend's, but I bought it for her for her birthday a couple of years ago. So yeah, we do have we have a pet hedgehog. Oh, so oh. Cute. Hi, tribe. Hey, tribe. I am really excited this week to introduce to you our new guest. Uh, His name is Dr. Joshua Walrich. He has had a bit of a journey on social media, working as a surgical trainee in London. He originally started his Instagram as a weight loss account by the name Unfattening. Over the past few years, he has become acutely aware of the problematic nature of indiscriminately encouraging weight loss. So after a rebrand to Dr. Joshua Woolrich, he focuses on improving one's relationship with food through addressing hashtag Nutribullocks and reminding us that there is so much more to health than our weight on the scale. So hello, Joshua. Oh, it's a great intro. It's almost like I wrote it myself. Almost. I know it is, isn't it? <laughs> you can tell because I put loads of big words in it. Sorry I know. I, when I saw that, I was like, mate, are you trying to like throw me off? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just, I just like it. I know it makes, it makes one sound like they're trying to be pretentious and clever, but actually words, words are great. Words have so much meaning, which I'm sure we can get into. But, you know, if, you can, if there's a good word that means what you're trying to say better than lots of smaller words, then, you know, just use it. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> Time saving. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? We are good. We were just saying how uh, we are football widows today. <laughs> uh, some some sort of match going on that I don't particularly care about, but the rugby is far more important. <laughs> I don't really care about it either. Although um, I was taken to Anfield the other day to watch Liverpool uh-huh. play, which was quite a good experience. And you know, the yeah. best thing about it actually was... The fact that, like, I have not—I've never been anywhere where you haven't have to had to queue as a female for a toilet. Yeah. And football well, that's matches. That's a bit of weird experience. Yeah, like <laughs> no queue, really clean. Like, if anybody needs yeah. a wee and they're near a football stadium, go there. Ah, there's, there's just no women in the football match. Is that yeah, why? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, small, small positives. Always find the positive for everything. Exactly, exactly. So you're actually our first man, I've just realised. Oh, that's quite cool. I know. You're I, I think I am a bit of an unusual um, person in this whole area of, of, kind of discussion around weight and health and uh, relationship with food and things. It's, it's definitely a very female-dominated space, which is um, it's not a bad thing, but I think it's... Uh, I think it's good that we're starting to get a, a few more men talking about it as well because it's it's important to be looking at it from both sides, I think. Yeah, yeah true. I've actually not seen any other men besides you speaking about that, so it's really cool. And you can appeal to a different audience and what some women may as well. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, I know my demographic on Instagram is definitely mainly female, um, but I, I think it definitely... Uh, 
I think it helps coming at it from a different angle. I think we're we're in a situation where um, the the female body is definitely more objectified and more judged um, in society from in regards to what it should look like and kind of what women should do to to you know make themselves attractive and have appeal that kind of stuff. So it's I think it's I think it is interesting looking at it from a guy's perspective and actually going you know what like that I mean that's just stuff that just isn't even true anyway and I think it sometimes it it's a bit more believable when it's coming from that side of things I I don't know I it's interesting I think we just need more people on both sides to be talking about this stuff yeah definitely so tell our listeners a little bit about um you and your like your personal journey how you mm. all started well I uh graduated as a doctor in 2004 14 um and I started working and I'd always been quite a large uh teenager um it's the the difficulty is that my instinctive thing to say is I've always been quite an overweight teenager but now I don't know it's just a that word doesn't really mean anything anymore (laughs) so um I'm trying not to caveat everything I say but I was what you would classically call overweight as a teenager um and I graduated as a doctor and I started working and I started seeing patients who I felt like their weight was having an impact on their health. Um, And I started feeling like a bit of a hypocrite because I started feeling like I didn't have the right to talk to them about this kind of stuff because I myself was overweight. Um, Now, that's not necessarily the, um, the opinion that I have currently. But at the time, I felt like it was the same as if I was a smoker trying to run a stop smoking service. I just thought this is just pointless. Like I'm I'm limited as to the conversations that I feel like I can rightfully have with these patients. And I feel like I'm limiting my ability as a doctor because of that. Um, And so for the first time in my life, I wanted to lose weight for a reason that wasn't because I thought I was unattractive. Um, And every previous attempt that I'd had throughout my teenage years and throughout my early 20s uh i had i had done so because i thought i wasn't attractive or i wasn't good looking or you know it was pretty much all about how i looked um so having a different reason to go about doing it i think was was a bit of a change for me and it was it was a bit of an un i think it made a difference as to my motivation behind doing it which was nice to find a reason that wasn't about looks and about that kind of insecurity side of things um wasn't I lost weight no no it didn't come from it it came from wanting to be a better um it wanted it came from wanting to be better at my job which and it just happened to be about weight which 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 was a bit weird it was a uh, not not the most common journey I wouldn't say um but I, I was successful at that uh and then as I kind of got towards the end of what I was doing, I was like, I started becoming intrigued and started coming across stuff that I hadn't really thought about before. And I started questioning, um, I started questioning kind of my whole concepts around weight and health and whether what we assume to be true actually is and, and why we assume certain things. So I, I had always assumed that um, I was overweight and to be healthier, I needed to lose weight. And there, I'm sure that there's an, it's very hard to determine, but I'm sure that there was an element to, um, to the fact that I think I'm healthier now than I was when I first started along this journey. But at the same time, I think there's, 
it's very difficult to work out how much. Um, I think it's very difficult to work out um, to what extent you can really guarantee that kind of thing. Um, and it's much easier to to kind of work this stuff out at the extremes. But there's a whole massive gray area that people are still very dogmatic about when it comes to weight and health that we, we just, I think we need to talk about a bit more. Um, and so, I, as you said at the beginning, I've become quite aware of the fact that if we just start indiscriminately prescribing weight loss for everyone, everyone that thinks that they are unhealthy or thinks that they're overweight, um, if we start just telling everybody to go on a diet, we're, we're ending up doing a lot more harm than good uh, through kind of the, 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 the problematic nature of all of these weight loss methods and weight loss journeys that people go on and the fact that actually yo-yo dieting isn't, isn't a neutral intervention. It, it ends up with people being in a worse uh, health at the end of all of this. So uh, I've, I've stopped talking as much about weight loss as such, and I've, I'm, I'm now kind of focusing on what I think is really the main problem, and that's people's kind of relationship with food and how they, how they see food and the, the perceptions that they have around food and also the perceptions that they have around the black and white nature of weight and health, which, which the more you look into it, the less clear it is. Yeah. I really relate so much with what you're saying about you before you were always trying to lose weight to look good. And I've been on a massive journey myself with weight loss, yo-yo diet and trying all the diets out there in the past just to, because thinking that was going to make me feel better and I was going to be happier once I got to a certain weight um which I never and I did lose weight and I gained the weight back and had this horrible relationship with food but then I became a yoga teacher late last year and you know at the start and I spoke to Emily about this and I was like I don't know if people will take me seriously as a yoga teacher because I'm not like you know really slim like the the kind of image that you would have of a yoga teacher in your mind um Mm. And then so kind of like where I'm at right now, like what you're saying, you started to lose weight because of your job. You were in that mindset instead of I'm losing weight just to look better within myself. And that's where I am. I'm like, I'm not putting any pressure on myself. I'm just eating to make like eating what makes me feel good. Um, But I do want to lose a bit of weight. But I also feel like there's a bit of something going around at the moment because there's a lot of like body positivity and um all this which is great but I also feel on the flip side of it some people are afraid to say like you know I do want to lose some weight and I am like trying to lose a bit of weight do you like think that as well Um, I know what you mean I the the difficulty um and I think I I I've compared it in the past to um to to feminism in the fact that feminism is amazing and feminism is something that we should all be striving for and should not be kind of looked down upon in any way shape or form Mm-hmm. At the same time, there are quite a few um, uh, misandrists coming out of the woodwork, people that, that are not feminists but are basically portraying the idea that men are inferior rather than we are the same. Yeah. Um, and at the same time with the dieting crowd, there are, I think there's a lot of good in calling out the problematic nature of trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And calling out the fact that weight and health aren't as intrinsically linked as we as we thought or as people portray them to be, and the fact that you know if you lose weight you won't necessarily be healthy you won't necessarily be happier 
you, you know, it won't necessarily fix anything. And actually, it may be harmful for you to go down that journey. Yeah. There's, it's really important to be addressing that stuff. But at the same time, I, I think it is okay to hold both things in tension that yes, it is incredibly problematic. But at the same time, there are some people in which losing weight is going to help their health. Mm-hmm. And, and I think by ignoring one or the other, for a very, very long time, we've ignored the fact that it's problematic. And we've ignored the fact that it doesn't automatically lead to an improved health. Um, and now I think we're, I understand why it's happening, but we're starting to slowly, if you're in the right bubble on Instagram, at least, we're starting to slowly flip towards the side of, you know, your weight has nothing to do with your health. And yeah. we know that both, you know, neither are true. So we, can't, we need to try and sit in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to do that. Uh, but it is, but it is hard because I think some people, um, when you tell them that that weight can be linked to health, it sometimes undoes the good in their mind that you're doing when you talk about the problematic nature of weight loss. And and you know, I, I think you can talk about both. It's okay to talk about both, and it's okay to say you don't know as well. Like it's all right yeah. to not have a dogmatic answer, which is not often massively uh, encouraged on the world of social media i think everyone is in, encouraged to have a dogmatic answer to something <laughs> um, yeah it's so true and that's like some yeah i just feel like there's this gray middle area where everybody's like either all for or all against and then mm. there's a middle area that nobody's really speaking much about mm. well the gray area doesn't sell books the gray area doesn't sell <laughs> doesn't sell products yeah. it doesn't sell meal plans you know it doesn't it doesn't sell this yeah. or that so it's it's difficult to be in the gray area and have a career out of being yeah. in the gray area yeah. which i think is why i'm quite glad that it might i have a career outside of doing all this yeah. <laughs> i have a full-time job i yeah. am a doctor and in, in not in my not in my spare time but that's my full-time employment so this stuff i i have the ability to be in the gray area without it being detrimental to my livelihood, I think, which is great. (laughs) One thing I did just want to really quickly, I know I've talked a lot already and I'm sorry, you do need to interrupt me a bit more. Um, One thing that I wanted to touch on very briefly with what you said about you were worried that people wouldn't take you seriously as a yoga teacher. Yeah. And I was, when I first started, I felt like this was such a huge thing and it was, Mm. and because I was surrounded by people, um, on training who who were obviously a lot slimmer than me and it, it was a big thing for me at the start but now I've, I'm teaching a lot and things and I know I feel really good about how I look and I know that I'm healthy mm. even though I'm bigger I'm just like I don't know I'm, I just feel like I'm quite accepting of it yeah no. so I was going to link that to just to, to just trying to reiterate that when I said at the beginning that I didn't feel like I could be a good doctor because I was overweight, yeah. that came from my insecurities of who I was as well. Yeah. So ironically, even though for the first time in my life I was trying to lose weight, not based on my looks, mm-hmm. I had my, my opinion of my looks was still linked to why I wanted to lose weight. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it was my opinion on my health was linked to my weight, which was then linked to my my thought process around it. So I, 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 I'm not, my opinions have changed and I'm not of the opinion that you can't be a good doctor if you're over a society's, you know, normal weight level. Yeah. Um, 
at an extreme, I don't know, it's difficult because I think health is so fleeting and health is so fragile that if you say that you can't be a good doctor because you're not healthy, you know, we're, we're ruling a lot of people out of that. There's, I think there's some crazy statistics of around 40% of people in the US and I think around 25 to 30% of people in the UK have a chronic disease of some kind or a chronic illness. So that, you know, that all, every single one of those isn't at the pinnacle of health. Yeah. So does that mean that they're they're ruled out of being able to do stuff like that's? So yeah, I think it's it's an interesting conversation. I think we could probably have a whole hour podcast on whether your doctor can be fat, but <laughs> that's, I think we might need to, I think we might need to research that a bit more before getting into that. Are you are you a GP like in a surgery? Is that what type of doctor you are? Uh, I'm a surgical trainee, so I see. I, I see slightly more of the black and white when it comes to weight and health because there's a bit more. It's a bit more, um, not perfectly, but it's a bit more straightforward when it comes to um, risks around anesthetic and risks around surgery and things like that and recovery when it comes to people's, uh, when it comes to kind of fat mass and things. Yeah. And at the same time, lack of muscle mass, which doesn't always go together, but sit, but commonly does. Um, so I, I see it from more of a black and white, ang- it's a bit more black and white, although as I said, not perfectly, but yeah, so I'm, I, I deal from the, the the kind of the surgical side of things. I think I would struggle as a GP because I would I wouldn't be giving the status quo from what the government wants GPs to give. Unfortunately, where anyone over a certain BMI has to have weight loss mentioned in their consultation and things, and it's I think it's, BMI we're in a difficult so, situation. I don't know. It's, do you not? Do you feel like BMI is just so like such an outdated system? Because I you no, know, I think like because if somebody I don't know from my the way that I see it anyway. Mm. is that if you're like really strong and muscly then you're going to be heavier but you could be really healthy but then your bmi could say you're overweight yeah so from so bmi is just based on height and weight and nothing else um so from from a general population setting Mm -hmm. i think it can be a helpful measure but from an individual setting it's really not and so I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say necessarily it's outdated in a sense. I know people like to say, "Oh, it was created by a psychologist and it wasn't about health." And I'm like, "That's fine." Like, but but that's not necessarily a logical argument to say that it can't be about health now. Yeah. But it's also not a good measure of health. It's okay yeah. to have both. Like, let, let's just use some good logic as to why it's not a good measure of health, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so from a population standpoint, it does it does the big picture quite well. So if you have a lot of people and you kind of look at the BMI measurement of a large group of people, then you can get a a relatively decent um, idea and estimation of where people's fat mass may fall. Mm -hmm. Whether that's important or not, that's what it can show. Um, However, looking at it individually, there are a lot of people that don't fit those those clean-cut categories of BMI and so when we start making individual recommendations based on BMI, I think that's when we start getting into trouble. Because you're right, people that have larger muscle mass are going to be heavier and they're therefore going to have a higher BMI and going to fit into an overweight or an obese category on the MRI scale, on the BMI scale, sorry. And so they're going to be given advice to lose weight when they wouldn't necessarily see any improvement in their health by doing that. And 
again, that kind of then puts people down the side of weight loss isn't a neutral intervention. It's it's often a very harmful intervention that people go down. Yes. So yeah, BMI, I'm not a fan of. Um, I think it does get a bad rap, but I think that's because it's used incorrectly. I think mm. that we are using it in an individualistic setting when that's often quite inappropriate and often quite inaccurate to be using. Um, there isn't a perfect one. I think waist and, waist and, uh, and hip measurements are probably the closest to a, a good-ish one we're going to get because it gives some ideas to visceral fat, which is the fat we know has some effect metabolically and has an impact on cardiovascular disease and diabetes and things like that. But again, even that's not perfect. BMI used to do my head in when um, I was in recovery um because we had to get to a bmi of 20 to um Ooh. and it you it literally it would just haunt me this like bmi of 20 and like one week i would have like got closer to it and the week after my next appointment i would have got lower like it it was just uh i, I literally don't know what my bmi is anymore and i do not care <laughs> it, does, it doesn't matter but, but that, that's what i mean about it being it's 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 interesting because there are so many things that are important with um, with eating disorder recovery that don't that don't correlate to the normal population mm-hmm. um, and shouldn't correlate to the normal population. So, for example, things like meal plans are incredibly important for the um, the, the anorexic eating disorder population. It's very important for them to have a structure again in regards to what they're eating. But if we take that and prescribe meal plans for everyone in the population, we're going to do more harm than good. Mm. So I, I, it is important to, to kind of, I think, separate those two and kind of go, I'm sure that psychologically it was horrendous to have to hit a BMI level. I'm sure it was. And, but I don't know how, I, I don't know what a better way, do you know what I mean? It's really hard yeah. because we're, yeah. in a, we're in a difficult situation there where we're going, we, you know, we know that for your health and for your both physical and mental health, you need to put weight on mm. and it needs to become normal for you. And it, do you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I am not, and I'm quite happy. I'm not an expert in eating disorders uh, or eating disorder treatment. And it's, it's a minefield. I, I don't, I don't envy people that, that are because yeah. it doesn't seem easy. No. And I can imagine it isn't. I mean, obviously I only know about it from a patient's perspective. Mm. So, um, I and I, I do teach quite a few um, doctors and people that are in the mental health sector, so it's quite interesting. Um, I might be doing some talks with some of the doctors in our area about like it, the patients' side of it, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't I I wouldn't envy their jobs either because when somebody's going through um something like an eating disorder it's it's a very selfish and hateful disease where you do get very kind of anti anyone who's trying to make you better so yeah i definitely don't um i don't envy them but i thank them very much <laughs> eventually yeah yeah exactly eventually one thing i did want to talk about on the podcast was have you heard and get your opinion on? Have you heard about the um, the fast track to health experiment happening in Australia? I have, yes. the <laughs> the um, the the very low calorie intermittent fasting in children. One. Yeah, 
Yeah, so they, they're getting 13 to 17-year-olds, I think. That's the age range. Um, and they start off by putting them on a month of mainly meal replacement drinks and um, shakes mm. of, I think, maximum 800 calories. And then for mm. the next year, half of the group will go on to a controlled eating, basically calorie counting, and the other half will go into an intermittent fasting diet. Okay. Without counting calories? Or they calories they have to, yeah, they have to stay under 800 calories a day. Um, but oh, for the full have, year? Yeah, for the full year. But Oof. every week there is either a, what did they name it? Hang on. It's called... So they call it a refeed day or something? No, it's just, um, there's a day where they're allowed to eat a meal of whatever they want, basically. Okay. It's basically like Alpine. a cheat day. Yeah. They're allowed I mean, one discretionary food a week and one meal off a week to accommodate occasional eating out or social gatherings. That's, that's really kind of them. That's nice. Yeah. Why, why, oh. why is this happening? <laughs> Well, the I've been I've been reading quite a lot about the study and reading the because um, it's I mean it's gone through an ethics board, which mm. I you know is one thing, but they um, they it's for it, you have to be a, a, obese, clinically obese, um, to be in the study. You know they're not they're not getting just kind of children of of an an average weight to yeah. go through this experiment, but they are basically trying to see if they can create a kind of one size fits all plan for yeah teenagers it's never going to be because everyone's so different there's not a one size fits all child like everyone's so different yeah like i went mental at this but i'm really interested to know what you think about it so my i i have several problems with it <laughs> my i now let, let me start by saying that it might work and let me explain why i'm being as balanced as i can because if we let let's say we treat these people as as robots right and i know and let and we'll get into why that's that's stupid to treat them as robots but i think that's how these things pass the ethics committees if we treat them as robots we've got a group a subsection of of kids who are at quite a high, like by the sounds of it a very high weight um and I think it would probably be safe to say, although again, this is where sitting in the greys is difficult, it would probably be safe to say that their current weight is having an impact on their health. The majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them, I'm sure it's probably having an impact on their health. And if it's not currently having an impact on their health, statistically, staying at that weight as they go into their early 20s and 30s, it will have an impact on their health metabolically, cardiovascularly, um physically so we're in a situation where in an ideal world at the age of 13 14 15 for kids to be at a bmi that is over 35 what what what's the i to be honest i don't actually know now what's the bmi that makes you obese is it 30 or 35 i don't know i have but anyway over that over that certain amount we're looking at the extremes here yeah so we're looking at that high extreme in an ideal world and if we if we go back 
you know, not that everything is better 20 years ago, but if we go back 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. It's, it would be a rarity. So there's something that's changed that's led to this. However, putting that aside, is this going to work? Now, if they're robots and we put them on low-calorie diets and they lose weight, then, then great. You know, that's it, right? Um, however, are they going to keep it off is number one. Um, because why are they at that weight to begin with? My opinion, my, what I've come to is, and from what I'm seeing is that all of this stuff can be brought back to either a socioeconomic problem or a problem with one's relationship with health. And putting someone on 800 calories a day for a year is not going to fix their relationship with health. It is so incredibly rare that that's going to have a positive impact on their relationship with health. Um, and so I would... Yeah, exactly. And so I would be incredibly surprised if that weight loss was sustainable without them continuing to do whatever this plan is. So with either... Because at some point they've got to stop eating 800 calories a day because they've got to stop losing weight eventually. Um, and if you could, if you have 800 calories a day for the rest of your life, you will die eventually. Like that's you, you can't sustain on that. Now they can sustain on that for a year. Like let, let's not pretend that people can't, but let, let's use good logic as to why this is a terrible idea, not bad logic. So the good logic, why this is a terrible idea is because it, it completely ignores any sort of disordered eating. It completely ignores any sort of element of a bad relationship with food that may have led them to be eating more than their body needs in the first place. And also completely ignores any sort of plan in regards to sustainability and what, what's going to happen after that year. Um, and so it, it, it greatly concerns me, not only from that side, but also from the fact that they are teenagers and they are developing mentally at that, at that point. Um, I have no idea what 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 impact that's going to have long term on their mental health what that's going to do on their risk of having an eating disorder where you know after the age of 18 um we've got some good evidence to show that the younger kids start on diets the more likely they are to develop eating disorders as uh, in their early 20s or in their late teens and that stuff is not that's not a joke like that's not fun um and you could even possibly argue that you know, I would, and I, and this might be slightly flippant to say, but I would rather be of an unhealthy weight and have a better relationship with food than be of a healthy in quotes weight and have an eating disorder. Like it's not that, you know, the, these things aren't, aren't, we, we, we can't be flippant about this stuff. Like it's eating disorders are a big deal and they're not something that should be taken lightly. Um, and you know, we, we, I, yeah, it, it makes me slightly frustrated. I don't. I think well, I'm going in circles, possibly here. But <laughs> no, I'm just glad you agree with me because I, uh, I, I think exactly the same thing. Um, and they have on their team of people working on it, and and somebody from the eating disorders area of medicine yeah. to support. But I just think that you're not teaching them about their relationship with food you know I completely I basically everything that you've said was what was annoying me about it so I'm I feel a slightly slightly uh better about that <laughs> like the not- issue is that we don't have we don't have a good solution that's the problem is that yeah. we're, we're ending up doing these things because 
and and something that that again as we said earlier people within this sphere don't like to necessarily talk about but there is there is an impact on kids health when they're that size yeah and 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 so what what is the solution i don't think the solution is putting them all on low calorie diets for a year because i think that's going to end up causing more harm than good later down the line if not very soon but we need to find some sort of solution that's the problem is that when it comes to public health and it comes to people doing this kind of research and it comes to incentives from the government to sort out the overall population health of their country, we're grasping at straws for solutions here. And, mm. and I really wish that people would take this relationship with food more seriously because if we started doing that, we'd stop doing this nonsense. We'd stop trying to force people into low-calorie diets to, to fix their problems just because from a scientific perspective it looks like it will work fine you know what it's like how i would compare this to it's like they're treating the symptom but not the root cause because there's a cause that mm. this child is overweight it's going to yeah. be something going on in their mind emotional life whatever is causing that and they're just covering up the symptom like when i was sick i had crohn's ibs fibromyalgia doctors just wanted to give me all these pills send you on your way but i was like there something's causing this it's not these pills are just going to hide my symptoms. It's not going to get rid of this. So I had to do the work to find out what was causing it, not take the medication and get to the root cause. And that's basically like what they're, they're doing with this is they're just covering yeah. it up with a diet. And then at the end of it, the kid is probably going to, whatever, whatever the cause is so for their weight gain, by the end of it, it's either going to be worse or it's going to be the same. Or they're going to have extra problems on top of it because they've been restricted for a whole year. Mm. And, and the gonna... people that are better are a massive minority. Like, let's get that clear. There will be a few people who are better, but that's not. That's going to be like the tiny, and they're the ones that are going to be portrayed as the success, <laughs> unfortunately. But that's you know those are the people that have no no disposition to eating disorders, for example, because there are some of us who don't have any disposition to eating disorders who can do the most disordered who can undergo the most disordered eating behaviors in the world and will never develop an eating disorder and uh, you know I, some of that is genetic some of that's environmental some of it we just don't know yeah. you know there are, for example we know that women are more likely to develop eating disorders than men that doesn't mean that men can't but it means that some of this some of this crazy dieting is more problematic for women than it is for men that's not fair but but some of it is yeah. And so we need to start looking at all this stuff and going, okay, there will be some successes here, but that doesn't negate all of the negative effects that are going to happen on the majority of these other people. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with you. We are, they're, they're treating the, in, in a lot of cases, I would argue they're probably treating the symptom. There's a time and a place for medication and there's a time yeah. and a place for treating chronic disease that, that, that isn't necessarily going to go away. Um, but I don't think this is the solution here. I really don't. I thought we were about to get onto the big V topic then. I was like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's the big v. v. Veganism. Ah, no. I, how are we going to get onto that? Well, now you've because ruined Sam, it by bringing it up. Well, because Sam was, <laughs> Sam was going towards her. No, I wasn't going to speak about that. Oh. <laughs> well, we have to now. I don't think it's... No, like I think being vegan... More specifically, when I went vegetarian, all my symptoms cleared up for the IBS and Crohn's that I was suffering from. So I definitely accredit cutting out meat 
to part of my healing. But I think the biggest, the biggest part of me healing from all, all of it has been mindset, emotional based, like for sure. Because yeah, you did a lot. I was manifesting it, and the like, I was stress. Basically, getting rid of the the kind of extreme stress that I was under. That's what caused me to be ill. So, tons of different yeah. things that I done to kind of eliminate that from my life. I, I'm so sure that that's been the main reason. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't speak to all of that, and also, it wouldn't, it's not my place to speak to all that. It's, it's irrelevant, my opinion on that stuff. To be completely fair, um, one, one thing I would say, just from a, from like a kind of a, kind of like a medical perspective on looking at some of that stuff, is that I'll often see IBS specifically is a, is a diagnosis of exclusion. So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome is a diagnosis when nothing else can be found that's kind of physically or kind of bio from a biopsy perspective none of that stuff is there and so there is where with those kind of um chronic diseases and, and it is a real thing i'm not I'm not pretending that it's not that it's the psychological aspect has such a huge impact um psychological aspects has such a huge impact on all disease but when it comes to diagnoses of exclusion like that there and sometimes um there's a few different uh, chronic illnesses that we know have more of an impact with um with our kind of outlook or the outlook has more of an impact on it um so i yeah it sounds like you did lots of really good things that improved your health in general um yes. and um you know it sounds great that you're at the place you are now yeah for sure that's me being as as diplomatic as possible <laughs> what i would say though as well on the side of that is that a lot of people find real benefit from um, from going vegetarian and vegan, but it doesn't always correlate with the removal of meat. So sometimes it does, um, but some a lot of the time there are situations where the increase in veg that people end up having without even trying when they when they then become vegetarian because they don't have that volume of meat in their life anymore that they have they've got to eat something. Um, that amount of veg, the amount of nutrients, the amount of fiber specifically as well. Has such a huge impact on on our health in general that we should all be eating more veg. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, yeah, a lot of the times the the health benefits they're not negated, but a lot of the times it's due to the fiber is a huge one. Like fiber has mm. huge, massive impact on our life and especially in our gut health and then in our also our mental health. Very oddly, and there's a lot of research going into it, but fiber fiber plays a huge impact because it it feeds all of that bac- bacteria in our gut that is that is good for us. Sorry, yeah, that makes sense for like the with the Crohn's disease I had. It wasn't like most people, a big proportion of people who have Crohn's disease have like diarrhea like all the time. But I was on the opposite side of it. Then mm. I was constantly bloated, nauseous, sick all the time. Um, my stomach always hurt, and then I guess that makes sense. And I'm getting this higher portion of fiber. That all went. Because then I could go to the toilet like a normal person for the mm. first few years, and <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I didn't realize we'd us... be getting to this toilet habit talk <laughs> on this podcast. Oh no, it's great! Talk about it. some some of us need all sorts of different things to others. So it's yeah. some people can get away, for example, with not eating much veg ever, and I don't understand how they can get away with it. But yeah. they but they can. They can get away with eating very little veg, eating very little fiber, and actually never having any problems with their bowels. 
And and I just it, to me, I like there must be something to do with the genetic makeup and their 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 kind of innate gut microbiome and things like that. And then there are other people on the other end of the spectrum who need far more veg than others to be to have a healthy gut. I think I'm somewhere in the middle at the moment, but I know that I know that just in general, I feel better the more veg and the more fiber I have. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's that whole kind of one one thing doesn't fit all situation, but in general there are increasing veg is going to be a, a good thing. The other, throwing a slight spanner in the mix, um, I'm sure you've heard of the, the carnivore diet that's going around at the moment. Yeah. Where, where people don't eat any veg. They just um, eat meat. Yeah, so they just eat meat and eggs, essentially. And it's, uh, it's ridiculous. However, because I like to be balanced and throw spanners, um, there are people who are finding that autoimmune diseases that they have their symptoms are improving when they cut out all of the veg from their diet. Um, and there is some very strange mechanism um, at play in regards to having animal protein and animal cells and things like that in your gut compared to having fiber and veg, which, which we kind of see as foreign in a weird way. Foreign is good for the majority of the part because it helps us form our stool and it helps us process things through because a lot of the fiber we don't fiber we don't absorb much of we it tends to just pass through, but for some people, their symptoms seem to be exacerbated by their gut microbiome coming into contact with the unknown, the stuff that isn't the same, the stuff that doesn't really fit where whereas you know kind of plant cell the plant cellular products is very different to animal cellular products and we are we're animal we're made up of you know pro, animal protein um versus plant protein so it's it's very it's definitely not i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> but it's very interesting to kind of take a step back from some of this stuff and go it's amazing how different we all are and how this one size fits all thing is is a problem where we're we're telling people all this stuff we're going we all need to intermittent fast because it's going to make everyone healthier. And it's like, actually, even if it is a healthy way of living, it's still not going to be healthy for everyone. We all need to stop eating plants because the carnivore diet is fixing all of your immune diseases. It's like, well, maybe for some people it might, but we don't know the long-term effects. And for everyone, that's just not the case. So it's all this stuff where we need more nuance to be able to explore the intricacies of some of this fascinating stuff because it is fascinating is to me or i think it's fascinating like what when people cut out all plants in their diet why do their autoimmune disease symptoms get better that's fascinating to me it's weird but what is concerning to me is that people extrapolate that and instead of finding it interesting or fascinating they then start preaching that everyone should do it yeah. and that that then yeah. concerns me there's, I think there's a lot of that, especially on um, like platforms like Instagram, where you've mm. got, you know, you've got somebody over here saying that one type of salt is better than the other, or <laughs> you've got um, somebody over there like that's on the Cambridge weight diet plan thing. And like, I saw somebody driving around in a Cambridge diet weight car the other day, and I really wanted to crash into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, or like, but or like Weight Watchers. Let's, let's, you know, let's hit the, let's, let's annoy some people. So, <laughs> so I have, I have two, I have two friends, um, two, two, uh, a, a couple that are much older than me that I know through church who are both currently doing Weight Watchers, who have both lost quite a substantial amount of weight. 
um, not to the extent that they're at and and kind of like an and they were I, I mean again it's, it's very difficult to know right but I would probably say statistically they they were likely at the beginning to have been on the side of their weight where it was starting to affect their health in a negative fashion um, now knowing both of them I don't think that having done and what they're currently doing is actually negatively affecting their relationship with food. Now, the fact that they're both in their 60s helps, number one, because they haven't grown up to quite the same extent of barrage of crap that we have <laughs> when it comes to this is what you should eat, this is what you should not eat. It was just, you just get on with it, just eat your food. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, I wouldn't, like it would be, I don't think it would necessarily be right for me to go up to them and go, you should stop this because it's problematic. But at the same time, if someone came up to me and said, do you think I should start Weight Watchers? My answer would be no. So it, it's, it is important to try and find this nuance if possible and yeah. understand that you know, these, these things are sometimes these things are going to work for some people. But you're right. Instagram is a place where you, and as I said earlier, you can't sell something by sitting in the greys. And so yeah. if you find something that's worked for you, there is an element to you just want to help. And I get that. Like, I really do get that because, again, I started my account being a weight loss account. So I, I got to the end of losing weight and going, well, this is simple. Why can't everyone else just do it the way I did it? Like, this is fine. And I was like, I really want to help. And it only became to the realization where my attempt to help was possibly causing more harm than good that I was like, okay, maybe I should stop trying to help, in quotes, here. Mm. Um, but there are so many people that are trying to help. That's where they started from. And now they're just making money. And, it's, and they, it, they won't entertain the, the nuance anymore because entertaining the nuance would mean that they have, to, they have to think that perhaps what they're promoting isn't, isn't beneficial for everyone they're promoting it to. And then that becomes an ethical quandary. Yeah, I think I just get really frustrated by seeing... Uh, and there's somebody that does it all the time on the Cheltenham notice board. Um, and it's always uh, some kind of a, an advert to join the Cambridge plan or whatever. Mm. But it's really difficult to, I mean, I'm not one of those people that would ever just start a fight for no reason. Um, <laughs> I, you just I'm not, you Sam, why are you laughing? Let me do it. I know. I strongly disagree. <laughs> I'm I'm so not. <laughs> I don't start fights. Okay, can we just <laughs> the, the why I'm laughing and saying this is because I was down visiting Emily recently and she nearly caused a fight in the middle of a road with a car. <laughs> that was definitely starting a fight. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but I'm not an online fighter, maybe. Although, actually, okay. that did just... in person. Just, yeah, yeah, just in person. I'm ginger, what can I say? That's fiery. Right. Do anything. All that means is anaesthetic doesn't work as well on you, that's all. I know, it's oh, really? Yeah. I'm kind of ginger as well. Is that true or is that a lie? <laughs> no, no, that's a real thing. Oh, no, right. That's a real thing. Um, people with ginger hair tend to need more anaesthetic to be put out than people without ginger hair. Weird, weird genetic. Thing. Why is there no reason, or it's just? Okay. Oh, there's there's a there's a genetic thing with how you metabolize the anesthetic, but yeah, that's that's all you can claim that you're abnormal for. Everything else is the same. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so 
surely in that in that sense then it takes more to calm me down I would say that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm extrap- I, I'd have to extrapolate then. And then I'd be talking from my behind and I don't know anymore. Um, I've, 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 we went off on a fighting chat. Yeah, but you I were, just... You were saying the, the, the Cambridge weight last diet. Yes. Was posting. And I want to comment on it because I don't want people that aren't as knowledgeable or won't go out there and look at the research. Mm. I don't want people to buy into it because it annoys me that people make money off creating a, like, I don't know. It just, uh, the whole dieting thing gets to me, I think. Well, isn't the Cambridge weight loss plan slightly multi-level marketing anyway? Yes. So, so we can, we can, we can, uh, we can just say that that's a load of rubbish because the fact it's multi-level marketing to start with, it's basically like our bond, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, I, there, there is a very fine line. It's very difficult, and I can't say that I get this right every time. But there's a fine line between challenging something because you know that actually it's having a detrimental effect on a lot of people that are seeing it, versus being polite and going, "Well, you know, it might be working for you." But I think it depends how they portray it. So it's are they portraying something by going, "You know what? This is what I'm doing. It might not work for you." Um, but it might, but, but it works for some people. Uh, it's not magical. Like I, I, I don't call anyone out for saying that. Like that's, you know, even though perhaps some people might come across and they might look at it and they might do it and they might worsen their relationship with food and they might end up with an eating disorder. Like that's, again, we, we can't caveat every single thing in life, right? We can't protect everyone from everything. Mm -hmm. But if you've got someone saying, I'm doing this, it's amazing. It will work for you. It works because it's magical because this is what happens and it's all just nonsense. Then I will call that stuff out because it's, you're, you're, you're spreading misinformation. And so if someone's portraying the Cambridge diet to be the godsend, it's this new magical thing that, that, that we never knew about before and suddenly, you know, but now we should do this, then yeah, we, we should be calling this stuff out. I don't know how you do it on a leaflet though. That's... No, no, it's on, an, on a Facebook. <laughs> Oh, Facebook. Well, I don't know. Just how, how, I mean, it's easier on Instagram, but Facebook is difficult because do, do you, do you leave a comment saying, I'm glad this is what, I mean, maybe what I would do is I would personally leave a comment saying, I'm glad this is working for you. Um, I just want to point out that this has the potential to be problematic for people. Um, and it would be helpful to include that kind of nuance when you're, when you're kind of, talking about this because you know and, and then they'll probably block you and then but then you've done your thing right you've yeah. you've done your but you're 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 not with, with this kind of stuff you're not necessarily trying to convince the person that's selling the cambridge diet right like you're she or he isn't the person you're trying to change the mind of really no that'd be great if you could because yeah. then you'd have one less person selling the cambridge weight loss plan but actually what you want to do deep down is you just want to provide a different opinion so that people that see this post have both sides. Yeah. So I, I've, I've, I've come to that realization relatively recently, actually, <laughs> that then in some way being aggressive doesn't always help because being aggressive leads to your comment being deleted. It mm. leads to your, you being blocked. And actually you're then doing those people that you're trying to help a disservice because they no longer have you to give them this alternative view. So it's a really fine line, a really hard thing to, to balance between being 
strong in your opinion, but not going so far that you're just defeating the whole purpose of trying to get your voice out there. Did you discover this before or after the Himalayan salt? <laughs> well, he's well, I don't know. Uh, no, I, the after, um, but I probably would still deal with it in the same way. Uh, <laughs> there are some people that just can't, be, there are just some people that just can't be helped. There was someone, did you not, did you not see this? No. Uh, well, there, so, I mean, it's fine. But there was someone that, that was talking about how Himala- pink Himalayan salt is um, much, much better than table salt. Um, and it goes around quite frequently on Instagram and how we should be, you know, table salt has all this, it has plastic in it and how, plastic, how pink Himalayan salt has all these nutrients in it and they're amazing and they're so good for you. In the end, they're both salt neither of them actually have any real difference <laughs> in regards to the, the main difference is taste so have the one that tastes the best and fits your budget that and and just stop worrying about it the problem i had was that he was saying that iodine was added to salt to i can't remember what he said it was something like really medically inaccurate that was that, that was pretty like pretty dodgy in regards to what he was convincing people of. Now, iodine has been added to table salt a long time ago because people were deficient of iodine in their diet and it was causing lots of thyroid problems. And so the government added iodine into salt because it was an easy way of getting iodine into people's diets. And actually the incidence of of thyroid issues went down after they started introducing iodine to the salt. So that's a great thing. That's good. Um, This guy was talking about iodine and salt. I'll see if I can find it because I've got it. I have it saved somewhere. Um, hang on, give me give me one second because it's it's just I know it's kind of irrelevant, but it's it's relevant and irrelevant all at the same time. I found it really interesting. Um, so here we go. So he said, yeah. So he was saying. So this is why it was a medical issue that I had a, I had a problem with. Um, he said that iodine is only added to table salt because bromide causes iodine to leak from the body. And Where from the body? Salt. I, I, I don't Where know. does it leak? What's bromide? I, I don't know. So bromide is is like a it's a type of bromine, um, which is which is an element that actually we shouldn't really be eating. Like it's not great. We shouldn't have okay. it. Um, but it's not in table salt. It's not. So <laughs> he was he was using a fallacy to argue something else that was also wrong. So he was saying table salt has bromide bromide in it which is bad for you, which I agree, if it did have bromide in, would be bad for you. Um, and the only reason iodine is added is because it, it, it negates the effect of the bromide. So really, you should just have pink Himalayan salt. So I basically said, I went, I, I went look, that's, that's just not true. Like, iodine is added because it helps the population because we were iodine deficient. And, like, and, and bromide isn't in table salt. So I don't know where you're getting this from. And he just, he just went in circles and didn't answer my question and then blocked me, and then I, I, yeah, I, I decided to be a little bit petty, and a whole bunch of my followers went over and started commenting on a post as well. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, but he's deleted the post. So actually, even though you could argue that that's perhaps a little bit of bullying, um, there are a lot of people that have been saved from reading all of that misinformation now that yeah. wasn't true, that was harmful, by calling it out doesn't always work quite as well like that but it's yeah you know, it's, it's a fine line 
do you know what you should do if somebody blocks you on Instagram? Go on as your hedgehog's account and like get <laughs> really like <laughs> really scientific stuff. And then like, you can't get mad because it's a cute hedgehog. Well, do, do, I mean, I have multiple other accounts. So I've, I've always got ways of keeping track of these charlatans slash people. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe using the hedgehog isn't a bad idea. Maybe I should. Maybe that'll be a bit more off the grid in regards to commenting. Who knows? <laughs> if you love being part of the tribe, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and leave a comment or leave a five-star review and we will be back for you next week for more Tribe Talk.